0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking today about balancing soil fertility. And, you know, we had planned on this topic anyway for today, but yesterday we were talking about picking up new ground and trying to, to get new ground turned around and, and highly productive. And one of the comments that Kelly Garrett had made, he farms in western Iowa, Kelly said, balance is really my biggest challenge, more so than, hey, I'm really deficient on P or deficient on K or deficient on a micro or whatever it may be. He said, oftentimes I've got something that's really high in something and that that's really throwing me off. Like in his area, he said high calcium can really make it tough in some of the hills of western Nebraska where he's at. So I thought this is going to be a pretty interesting topic today. And I know, Brian, we, we get beat up sometimes for talking about balance, balance, balance. Nah, you just need to fertilize for your crop. Well, you do need to fertilize for your crop. We're not saying you don't. But sometimes these balance things are, are really key, at least from what we're seeing on our farm.
1: Yep. So we often talk on the show about phosphorus to zinc, and we've talked quite a bit here over the last few months about phosphorus to copper also. Those two things have been really big for us. So a lot of people have been asking us, okay, what ratios are you talking about? What balance are you talking about? The first thing you want to look at is base saturation. So that's the ratio of five nutrients to each other, potassium, calcium, magnesium, sodium, and hydrogen. So look at that first. That's number one. Number two would be phosphorus to zinc. In my mind, number three is phosphorus to copper. Now there are a few others and we can talk about those a little bit, but yeah, I agree nutrient balance is really important.
0: Well, when you think about that, it's interesting because as farmers with yield monitors and now you can pull soil tests and you can mark GPS points it's been really fun on our farm to match up those yield data points to the fertility data points and see exactly what the correlations are. And sometimes there isn't a correlation. Uh, I was just chatting with our research lead this morning, Brian uh, Glenn hers. And he said, you know what? He goes, I had the same exact plot layout, same order, everything else. In two different areas. One got eight inches of rain for the entire year and the other got 25. And he said, You know, you think you can make hybrid evaluations, but he goes, When we only got eight inches all year, everything was terrible. And he said, When we had 25, miraculously, the same hybrids that fell apart at eight inches looked amazing. And so sometimes there are things that outweigh it, like drainage or rain. Right. You
1: just said there isn't a correlation. There's always some kind of correlation to your point. So, yes, rainfall can obviously be the limiting factor. But what we find is, hey, if it doesn't matter what you have for a zinc level out in the field, that tells you that, okay, something else at this point is your yield limiting factor. And that's always our job as farmers and agronomists is to figure out what that is. Uh, Before we leave that topic, I am going to come back to just so... So I throw some numbers out. So people are probably wondering, okay, well, what numbers do you want? Like for base saturation, we talk about four to eight percent for potassium. We talk about twelve to twenty percent for magnesium. For calcium, we're usually sixty-five to eighty percent. Hydrogen, we'd like to see that ten or less. That means your pH will be six, three, or above. And then for sodium, we want to see that one percent or less. With the phosphorus to zinc ratio, it depends on whose tests you're looking at. So let's just talk about a malic 3 test. We probably want 7 to 1 or 8 to 1 if we're using malic 3 tests, it's different for other tests. Uh, and then for phosphorus to copper, we're probably 25 to 1 or so using malic 3 tests, something along those lines. And none of these numbers have to be
2: exact,
1: but just like the phosphorus to zinc thing, where we've gotten it so bad where it's basically been two to one or three to one phosphorus to zinc, it's hurt our yields. On the flip side, when it's been 50 to one or something, then that's also hurt our yields. So you just kind of have to be in a general range. So that's what we're talking about with this balance and these nutrients and the correlation between the two.
0: Alright, when we're looking at, at different crops here, there's certainly going to be a few things that, hey, you for sure don't want to run short of this or that from one crop to the next. But th- this is the other thing too, Brian, Lundlines, lines of balancing fertility. Balancing for what? If you're corn on corn and you're just going to raise right. corn for the next 30 years, that's one thing. If you are corn and yeah. soybean rotation, we have seen a few things a little bit different. So I know there's there's got to be a range where, okay, the ideal range is not a certain number, but it's getting right. fairly close To that?
1: Yeah, yes, because it does vary by crop. So, just for example, when we think about boron, Darren and I were talking about boron just a little bit this morning, that it's really deficient on a lot of fields. Well, it's more important in corn and in alfalfa, or let me rephrase that you need higher levels in corn and in alfalfa versus in soybeans. Not that you don't need it in soybeans because you do, but our data is showing you know what, we do need just a little bit more, especially when we're pushing really good corn yields. And then it's also the timing on when some of these nutrients are available, like boron is really important around flowering in crops, more important then than at some other times.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. The timing is going to be a big deal. And, you know, when you think about this balancing soil fertility, I, I get a lot of questions about, well, what about my plant tissue tests? And should I be watching those tissue tests and looking for certain balance there? I, I look at the soil as as one aspect that, hey, you know what? We've got to put the right food out there. We've got all kinds of microbes in the soil. We've got roots growing. The roots are going to try to intercept some of those nutrients and take them in. You've got microbes trying to, in in many cases, help the root system take things in. And if you're having trouble getting things up into the plant and you've got plenty of it in the soil, you you do need to take a look at, all right, is there something else that's limiting me? And we've seen this time and time again where compaction problems uh, limit what kind of nutrient uptake we get when drainage issues limit what kind of nutrient uptake we can get and that way, you also don't have enough oxygen in the soil if your soil is full of water. So there, there are a lot of other things out there besides just well, did I apply enough pounds per acre of this certain nutrient or that one? Uh, and then yes, you, you talk about the timing again, the, the corn versus soybean debate, or a broadleaf versus a grass, and when is yield determined, and those types of things. Certainly, with soybeans, we need to have good nutrient availability in the middle of the season when it's when the beans are flowering and adding pods, and with corn man, that early season fertility really makes a difference in terms of yield. We'll talk more about balancing soil fertility on today's program. We'll also take your calls and questions at 844 44 ag
3: This is a wake-up call for you and your field's microbiome from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13for13 at farmshopmfg.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio and we're talking about balancing soil fertility. Our first guest, Kelly Garrett, uh, farms in Western Iowa. It was just on yesterday and Kelly made the comment. We're talking about picking up new ground, getting new ground started. Uh, Kelly made the statement. Hey, the biggest challenge for me is balancing soil fertility. Oftentimes I've got high levels of calcium, and I've got to deal with that first before all these other things. So it's your fault, Kelly, that this is our topic today, balancing soil fertility. Now we got to figure, oh, okay, well, that's important. How do you do it? So in your high calcium, I know it's a whole lot easier when it's low calcium. You just add lime or gypsum, but in high calcium, what do you do?
2: It takes boatloads of sulfur. That's what it takes. The calcium is a very positively charged high pH if you will nutrient it's not really high pH but it's very positively charged sulfur is a very negatively charged acidic nutrient and they are very attracted to one another so by putting by introducing sulfur into that environment it becomes the most attractive thing to the calcium and it releases the potential of your soil and the other nutrients are there balancing the soil is more important than building the soil, because if you just try to go build the soil without balance first, that money is is a wasted investment because it'll be tied up by your calcium or potentially your magnesium. We've got to balance the soil there and it's the number one priority.
0: Okay, so I I was just kind of getting into this before the first break about plant tissue tests and and, uh, if you've got plenty of it in the soil and you can't get it into the plant. You've got some sort of issue here, whether it's balance or whether it's structure or drainage or something. Uh, I'm assuming with high calcium, and we've got some high calcium ground too, that you see that. Hey, I got plenty of pounds of something, but it's not getting into my plant.
2: The number one, uh, Jason Sly, an agronomist I work with, he told me in the middle of June, Darren, that he looked at 8,000 tissue tests already that year, and the number one nutrient we're all lacking is calcium. I've got boatloads of calcium in my soil, but it's tied up, it's not plant available, and I can't get it into my plant. You talk about frustrating, that's quite frustrating.
0: Yeah, yeah it sure is. And the other one that I, I'm not sure where the tissue test needs to be on this one, magnesium. That's another one that comes back on so many soil tests that we see. Guys are short in magnesium and oftentimes growers will say, man, I'm, I got high levels of mag in my soil. I got hundreds of parts per million and I can't get it into my plant. How much do I actually need?
2: I, I agree. And you know, you get over on the river bottom south of Sioux City, they've got a lot of magnesium. They got very tight soil. You get in my hills over here, just a little farther east, we've got a lot of calcium. And to me, calcium and magnesium are, are really kind of a, a, a very similar nutrient where they are, they're very positively charged. They want to they get neutral, so they tie up to other things. And when they tie up to other things like the sulfur, you know, they become unavailable. Or even worse than tying up to your sulfur, they're tying up to your phosphorus, and then none of it's available to your plant. And that's the real issue and why we can't get them into those tissue tests and into that plant.
0: Let me ask you about a couple of micronutrients because zinc is one, and I, I've heard um, uh, David Hewlett talk a lot about this one where he's like, yep, I'm adding it in my planting time. Yep, I'm adding it in the foliar. Yep, I'm adding it here. I'm adding it there. And I, I know a lot of farmers are, are feeling the same way that I'm just not getting enough zinc into my crop. We, we just bit the bullet and put a bunch of zinc sulfate on dry and spread it out, broadcast in the areas where we needed it. And that really turned things around for us. That's one that we've found we can hold in the ground. But on hilly ground, if we didn't get it down deep, we could sure lose it pretty fast. And over the years, my dad and my grandpa had lost zinc on the hills due to erosion. What have you found? You farm even more hilly ground than we do. Are you able to hold zinc in place or or what are you doing with that one?
2: So, you, you know, and this, this is like the topic for the day, the balancing the fertility. The balance between your phosphorus and your zinc is very important. And with that, with the byproduct, the liquid byproduct I use, I have more available phosphorus than anyone probably. So uh, zinc is a huge focus for us. And on our dry potash that we're broadcasting, we impregnated the li- liquid zinc on it to get it out more. In our in-furrow, in our two-by-two two applications for the, on corn, we're putting some zinc in there. And, and now, like last year, for example, one thing we did, we have a new uh, new Extreme Ag partner, uh, Spray Tech, and they have a zinc foliar program. I think it's called Ultra Zinc or something like that. And we did a trial on that, produced nine, it produced nine bushel, Darren, and the ROI on it was like $97 an acre. That shows you how important zinc is right there.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And I, 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 when I asked that question, I kind of wasn't even thinking about that, about how much phosphorus you've got. So I'm like, yeah, we've got a problem. You've got an even bigger challenge than we do on that one. So yeah. I know you're on it. Yeah. Okay. How, Brian mentioned copper and phosphorus. I know it's one we've been watching on our farm, that ratio. And when we get copper levels up, this and it's. There's just so many things around copper that I, I we probably have to have a whole show on copper. But Neil Kinsey was saying last year when he was here that where they've got over five parts per million of copper in the soil, they've virtually eliminated sudden death syndrome. And for a lot of growers that that heard that, I know there are growers that are trying it. I know uh, just in in extreme northwest. Iowa uh, there's a, a farmer that Glenn works with that their soil test levels are all above five and they don't have a sudden death syndrome so I'm I'm interested in getting my copper levels up but for guys who struggle to get phosphorus up that can be a challenge too because copper and phosphorus kind of work against each other so so making sure you have enough copper if you've got those high phosphorus levels in my experience has been important but how about for you Kelly?
2: I I agree the same thing and you know after what Dr. Kinsey said I was not there for that presentation, but Lee was, Lee Lubbers, it's my Extreme Ag Partner, and Lee and I have many conversations, and he's talked to me about spreading, uh, you know, like spreading 10 pounds of copper sulfate. And he's like, Kelly, if you just do that a couple times, that that potential will be enough co- topper for you for the rest of your life. And he said it's hard to get it up there. It, Lee has taught me. It's hard to get it, the parts per million up there. It takes time to come into the soil. But, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge dry broadcast fertilizer fan. I would rather no. apply it a different way. No, I, I get it. But, but this year we broadcast our K simply because we needed something to mix that 10 pounds of copper sulfate with. And then over the next year or two, we plan to spread 10 pounds of copper sulfate twice on every acre to to try to do that up there because of the plant health. Not, you know, Lee talks about it has fungicidal like properties, which you know that goes to what you're saying with the sudden death. I couldn't agree more, Darren. And we're doing the same thing.
0: Well, if we can balance the soil health and balance all the food in the soil, much like we're trying to balance our diet, some do better than others at that one. I'm not the best at that one. I I need some improvement, but uh, I know know there's better human health, and it makes sense that there'd be better soil health and plant health as a result. Uh, Okay, the last one, and this is a challenge because you are a nearly 400-bushel corn grower, so I know nitrogen's important to you, but nitrogen to potassium— we look at this on our own farm and with a lot of the farmers we work with, if we get that nitrogen too high and don't have the structure from the potassium, we end up with some lodging issues. We end up having more uh, stock issues in our crop. Uh, But I know that we need the nitrogen. I know we can't run short. And I have a brother that I farm with who is addicted to nitrogen. I always tease him. And so that's a tough balance for us. Fortunately or unfortunately for my pocketbook, he's also addicted to potassium. So I think we've got a ratio. Okay but only because they're both high how do you do this economically have enough nitrogen but have plenty of potassium there too
2: well part of that goes back to again the balance if you balance the soil and bring that base saturation into where it needs to be you're going to release more potassium in the soil it's going to become available but then i i still find that it's almost like the root system of a plant, being a corn or soybeans, it can't translate hardly enough K up in there. We like to spray potassium acetate, you know, and we, we use a lot of nature's products uh, for that matter. They're K-Flex and their Bio-K, and almost every time we go across the field, we're spraying a potassium acetate to, to get more K into the plant, and our K levels are such now that we almost feel like we have released, reduced the penalty or gotten rid of the penalty for corn on corn. A lot of the yield penalty in corn on corn is not just plant health, but all, the K, all your K is tied up in that uh, residue from yeah. the year before. And we need to get enough K out in that field to, to take care of that problem. And it's, it's something we very much try to do. So often you'll hear a farmer say, I don't want nitrogen to be my yield limiting factor. Well, that's, that's not necessarily true. If you just push the nitrogen and you don't push the K, that's a lot like having you again, we're getting out of balance and you're losing dollars.
0: Yeah. You're wasting
2: those nitrogen dollars because the K can't keep up.
0: That's right. We were talking with Kelly Garrett here in Western Iowa. Kelly, we gotta run. Great stuff once again. We really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
3: Precision. Crop nutrition pays
5: drought, or another event, you may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank.
0: One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other AgPHD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
1: This message is for all the corn and soybean growers out there who aren't made of money. If you're using a fungicide other than Zolera FX from UPL, you should know that no corn and soybean fungicide gives you a better return on investment, period. Zolera FX has two high performance actives delivered at full rates for maximum performance and ROI in corn and soybeans. To see the data...
3: Go to ZaleraFX.com and always read and follow label directions. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva Agriscience, the newest premium Group 15 pre emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber Clean. And what is Kyber Clean? Well, it's a little like. <laughs> Nice fields. See the difference at kyberherbicide.com slash soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com slash soy.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about balancing soil fertility. We're also taking your calls and agronomic questions here in the Martin studio at 844- 44 ag phd and you can always email us and it's really helpful like for example when we're looking at soil tests if you can email us the test that you want to discuss and follow up with a phone call and say hey uh, just emailed you the test take a look at those open them up and and let's discuss cuz Because that's pretty fun to do, especially when you're in different parts of of North America, like Patrick is. He's up in Ontario, Canada, and he sent in some soil samples here a few days ago. We've been trying to connect, Patrick, and we finally get together. Thanks for joining us.
5: Hey, thank you.
0: All right, so you got a bunch of tests here. And uh, I think I've got about 30 pages of paper here, and and, uh, Brian should be looking at the same thing here, if you can get the email open. Uh, So... We got uh, got a field that you want to look at. Can you tell us just a little bit about it? Give us the background, Patrick.
5: Well, it's a it's a field that I uh, um, share a crop, and I've been farming it for a long time. But it was one of those farms where the owners were going to sell it, going to sell it. And anyways, there's uh, a new owner now, and he's he's systematically tiled it all and cleaned it up immensely. So I have a very good landlord now. And uh, we were a little disappointed in the corn crop this year. And I said, well, you know, since it's been tiled now, I think we should get it grid sampled. So he said he would take care of it. So he did. But uh, yeah, there's no summary on it, but uh, their suggestion was was to put down some K-Lime. And I was just wondering if you guys have ever heard of that product.
0: Okay. So this K-Lime, just for our listeners here, because I'm looking at the sheet, it's 29% calcium one percent magnesium six percent potassium and three percent sulfur so you've got uh, a good amount of calcium and a good amount of potassium in there and that hence the k lime so when you mm. look at that when we're putting on lime oftentimes we're looking at low pH your pH is not mm-hmm. low your pH is perfect this this is mm-hmm. really good it's like right at a six mm-hmm. five average and man I I don't know why I'd want to do anything to affect that pH. Uh, what do you think, Brian, when you're putting on a, a lime source, or you're putting on a calcium source, uh, you can you can run into some trouble with raising pH too far. We've done that in the past. Okay. I was trying to see if Brian was going to comment on that. Do you got a comment oh, okay. on that, Brian? <laughs> so
1: Yeah. what uh, my My question is what crops are going to go on this ground?
5: Well, I'm thinking one more year of corn and uh, then I might grow one year of uh, no-till soybeans on it.
1: Okay, I, I, and the reason why I'm asking is because I want to know how far we can drive that pH up. So mm-hmm. like Darren said, the pH right now is perfect. I'm fine with it, uh, but if you're trying to get more potassium out and you want to push the calcium a little further and get some sulfur, I mean, you can do that with this. But let's put mm-hmm. it this way: worst case scenario, if you use some of this, what's going to end up happening is your pH will probably go up. If it does, then you might have to drive it back down a little bit with some elemental sulfur. So okay. that that's what could happen to you. So mm-hmm. I, I guess just so I'm I'm understanding this is the main reason why you're using this. So you can get that potassium or or why do you want to use this K-line product? Well,
0: the potassium is is an issue, Brian. It's uh, 68 parts per million and on on this soil, we we need to get that higher. So the CEC is around 6.5 average. But uh, from the soil test, they're targeting 120 to 140 parts per million. They recommend putting in quite a bit of K.
1: Well, yeah, but I mean, why don't you just use potash?
0: Oh, I,
5: I, that, and that's kind of the recommendation I was uh, hoping to get from you guys because I've never heard of K-Line before, and I had just put a truckload or two-ton to the acre of line on this farm uh, two years ago, so I was just kind of looking for, I guess, the best bang for my buck. I'm thinking it's probably best to go with potash and a bunch of map because it does need uh, phosphorus as
1: well. Yes. I would spend my money on that instead of this K-Lime product. Now, in the future, if there is some area of you know that you're farming where the pH mm-hmm. is low and you can get this K-Lime and the, and the price is reasonable, I'm all for it. I wish I would have mm-hmm. had availability of that product and it was reasonable when I needed a lime on our ground because that mm-hmm. sounds great to me, getting a bunch of potassium along with it. But uh, the other thing is it's, it's a calcitic lime, so in other words, there's very little magnesium in there too. So as long as mm. for anybody who's needing the calcium, not needing the magnesium, but also wanting to get some potassium with it, yeah, it's a nice product. But I, I'm with Darren. I mean, when you're already at 6.5, there's no point in putting more lime on. I'll, I'll say one other thing too. With li- the lime you put on a couple of years ago, the odds are that has not fully broken down yet. So your pH still could go up just a a tick more than what it has done already. So I I for sure would not want to put any more lime on. Uh, Okay, so maybe
5: what I'll do this spring then is I'll put like, uh, uh, I was thinking like maybe 200 pounds per acre of actual potash and then like 100 to 150 pounds of map.
1: Sounds great to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
5: Okay. All right. Well, thanks, guys.
0: You bet. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Really appreciate it.
5: You bet. All right, thank you.
0: Yeah, the balance thing can be a challenge, and and Brian, just a couple more comments on Patrick's uh, test here. When you look at phosphorus Bray P one's around forty, but his. Potassium, he's got 68 parts per million. That's just not enough pounds per acre out there to, to really raise high yield. So he's certainly going to have to get after it. But yet it says it's a 2.8% base saturation because it's only a 6.5 CEC soil. So there's there's a little bit of common sense that goes into to some of these things and some, making some of these recommendations, too, of oh, I'm not just shooting for a 4% base saturation here. That's not going to be enough on a 6.5 CEC soil in this case.
1: Well, it's not if you're going for big yields. It all depends on what's your yield goal. But yes, assuming if you're going for a decent yield, what, you know, let's say it was 200 bushel corn and it's 60 bushel beans or something, then yeah, that's that's most likely not enough K there. The great thing about light soils like that though, if let's say it is a 6.5 CEC, you can change just about everything in that soil very quickly. Everything from pH to your your ratios I I mean, things can move through pretty fast. Things can get into the crop fairly fast. So there are advantages and disadvantages. Obviously, the biggest disadvantage is it's not going to hold a lot of water.
0: Hey, uh, can I jump to another question here? Because Bill sent in a good one here on micros. And Bill said, uh, I need to get micros out there. In addition to putting some on in furrow, we want to build some in our In our soil base levels of zinc and iron copper and sulfur now the dry sulfates look like economical product forms but i've got questions around application so we could put these micros on in the fall when we do dry fertilizer and just blend it or we could make separate spring applications with a floater now if we did that would we need to use a carrier to increase volume Uh, Just FYI, we're also trying to build P and K on on this specific farm I'm talking about too.
1: Well, that really sounds like a question for whoever's putting this this on. On our own farm here, we do have the equipment, whether it's the the dry uh, spinner spreader or the floater that we've got. We can go with really low rates and we can variable rate things as we go. I like that option. But if you don't have that option, you have to run with more pounds, then what I would consider doing is I I, I I might either get a micro bin for my spreader or I talk to somebody else who can apply it that can run with lower rates. Because the problem is if you have to run higher rates, think about... So I was giving this example the other day at our soils clinic. I just said, all right, let's say you over apply your zinc or copper or something like that. The problem with that is you use up so little each year, it might take you 50 years to get your levels back down to where they need to be if you've way overdone it. So we don't want to overdo it on micronutrients. Not only does it cost you more money, but it could leave years of problem for you.
0: Well, you don't, like we're talking about today, balancing soil fertility, you don't want to create long-term problems and overapply something that your crop can't really remove, remove because having excesses, as uh, Neil Kinsey often says, the excesses are a whole lot harder to deal with than the deficiencies. We'll talk more about balancing soil fertility and take more of your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned.
5: Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPVD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Water hemp. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit belchemusa.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
6: When it comes to
3: weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist weed
6: control system. Just better, with no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com.
0: Talking soil fertility once again on today's Ag PhD radio show. Thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting from the Martin studio and uh, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Set out to Indiana. Happy to have Jim Camberato with us right now for, with Purdue. Jim, thanks for joining us.
6: Sure, Dan. Good to be with you.
0: All right. I, I had this question already today. Uh, this is rented ground and I I talk all the time with guys that say, well, my rented ground, here's my strategy. My ground that I own, here's my other strategy. I'm sure you hear this all the time too. How do you handle that when a farmer says, okay, my my rented ground, I want to, to some degree, balance things out, but I mostly want to feed my crop. But my owned ground, man, I want to make that beautiful.
6: (laughs) Yeah, we've we've been thinking a lot about that lately because, uh, prices of fertilizer are high and availability is kind of limited, and so and here in Indiana we've always had the uh, feed the soil approach, which uh, a year like this is is pretty costly if you're you're farming ground that is really low in nutrients. Um, so you know if you you have to have a good soil test to, to start with and then uh, use that information to assess whether you need a fertilizer application in that year or whether uh, you have adequate amounts in the soil and you're not going to get a a response to that uh, P or K that you added in this growing season.
0: Totally agree Um, with you on the soil test. And and I think uh, a lot of the the growers that we have on talking about this too, they say, we understand we got to take a soil test, but what we don't understand is what percentage of the P and K that are showing up on that soil test will we actually extract? What are some of the factors, Jim, that can kind of influence that, that that can either help you or hurt you on extracting the P and K you already have?
6: Yeah, so the the soil test really just represents a, a small fraction of the total amount of nutrients that's uh, present in the soil, and uh, it could be as as little as 10% of, of what is there, or even lower, dependent on the, the nature of the soil and the level of nutrient that's been built up. Uh, but as the plant extracts what you you would measure with that soil extractant, your soil test, uh, that the, the pool of nutrients behind it that you're not measuring replenishes that uh, extractable portion. Uh, so really, uh, you ought, they ought not say, uh, focus on the quantity that's there, um, because it's just an indicator or an index of availability. For for example, we say uh, you know, 20 or 30 parts per million P is plenty in the soil. Well, we know the crop remove more than that every year, yet we only see soil tests perhaps go down a couple parts per million per season. And so that, that illustrates the fact that there's a, a reserve of that nutrient that's not reflected with the, with the extraction by the soil test.
0: You know, when we look at some of these soil tests, Jim, and, and you you've sure seen them all. There's some that hardly anything shows up, and then there's the guy that's had manure, and he's been putting it on for a number of years, and maybe he needs to pick up another field or two, and he's getting P and K levels pretty high. Do you find that limiting uh, to to some of the other nutrients out there that you can get too crazy with really high P and K levels? Uh, typ-
6: typically, with manure. Um... The other, uh, the other nutrients, the micronutrients, come along as well, so we see those levels elevated as well. So um, generally, we won't uh, see problems with microbes, uh, even though the P level in manured soils can be real high. Uh, sometimes with the uh, head manures and poultry manures where they're fed limestone, um, the pH can go up to 8.2 with repeated use, and then, then you might see some issues with zinc, uh, manganese. Um, but uh, if you do overdo it with phosphorus fertilizer, and zinc levels are marginal, uh, then you can induce zinc deficiencies, and we have we have seen that occur in, in situations where the. Phosphorus has been, been built up with fertilized to really high levels. Sure. And uh, zinc is, you know, part per million or so.
0: One thing that's been growing too in in usage and and the scale of usage has been compost. And we get a lot of farmers that'll talk to us. Okay, I was spray, spreading manure. I had a a pretty high first year availability of nutrients. With compost, I'm getting less first year availability. But is there a way to gauge what you're going to get in year two or three? Or is that just going to start showing up on your soil test?
6: Well, I, I think with P&K, uh, soil test is the, the best way to look at it. And, um, and those nutrients won't be as affected by, their availability won't be as affected by composting as much. Nitrogen, of course, is the tough one. Because in the composting process, you make the uh, the available nitrogen a little less available, and, and you're hoping that that's going to become available more slowly over time. And uh, predicting, you know, predicting what it's going to be if you put it out this year for this year is pretty difficult. But then predicting how much is going to come out and the next year or possibly two years is, is really pretty pretty hard to do. So um, if you're in a drier climate and you do do uh, PSNT or soil nitrate testing, then your best way to take it into account is through that soil sampling and an analysis of, of nitrate or possibly even soil ammonium.
0: Well, that makes me feel better, Jim, because I was thinking, man, there's got to be a way to guess this. But you're telling me, no, it's almost impossible because you don't know what the weather's going to be. You don't know about rain. You don't know about heat. You don't know about all those things. How about this one? I'm going to throw another curveball at you. Cover crops. We get a lot of questions with farmers. Okay, I want to put some fertility out there for next year. Can I put it out ahead of my cover crop? And if my cover crop is taking up some of that fertility, is that going to come back in time for next year's crop?
6: Well, I'll take the easy way, the easy (laughs) nutrient first, potassium. Potassium really doesn't get bound in the plant. You get enough rainfall, it comes out of the residue. Uh, Some of the work in Iowa suggested maybe 10 or 11 inches of rainfall gets most of the the potassium out of corn stover, maybe four or five inches out of soybeans, so depending on the cover crop you have. Uh, Rainfall is going to wash the potassium out. Um, the phosphorus, and to a greater extent, nitrogen are going to be in compounds that have to be broken down by microorganisms. Um, and, I, and I'd and i say with nitrogen, and most people, there's very little work with phosphorus. But uh, for nitrogen, if you're using um, cover crops that... Um, grow again in the spring and end up fixing a lot of carbon Uh, they found that uh, uh, only a small portion of that nitrogen becomes available to that crop maybe less than 25 percent and and again that's hard hard to predict how much but even though the crop captures a fair amount it doesn't release it very readily to that next uh, Cash crop. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. There's a lot of these things as farming practices change. It just takes some some time to get all the studies done and, and see what's really going on out there. Uh, that's why we're always happy to have Jim Camborado on with Purdue yeah. to, to talk through some of these things. Jim, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on sure, here and sure good luck definitely. the rest of the winter
6: here. All right. You have a great day. Uh, you bet, you as
0: well. It talking about balancing soil fertility on today's ag phd radio show we're also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD and of course you can always email us radio at agphd.com i got a number of emails that we're going to be getting to after this break in the ag phd mailbag time and uh, there's still time to get yours in as well With balancing soil fertility, obviously lots of questions, lots of different approaches, like Jim was just talking about the feed the soil versus feed the plant. We'll talk about that and more coming up after this. It came in waves. Ruthlessly eliminating the toughest, hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide, a new formulation, delivers superior flush after flush control of wild oats and green foxtail. And Everest 3.0 is registered for use on yellow foxtail, barnyard grass, Japanese brome, and key broadleaf weeds that can invade your wheat and rob your yields. Ask your retailer about Everest
3: 3.0. Always read and follow label directions.
0: How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300-bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
3: It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Fill once, plant all day.
0: Back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 ag You can also email us radio at agphd.com. Let's get back to the phone lines here. We've got Matt on with us right now with a soybean question. Hey Matt, you know what? When we're talking fertility. A lot of guys want to talk about corn, but I'm glad you bring up soybeans today. What's your question for us? Uh, running
5: sulfur in row on top of the seed on the planter, is there much yield difference there compared to maybe doing sulfur uh, when you're spraying or like that? Or,
0: well, uh, as far as yield difference, that, that's one question. The next question is just going to be safety. Uh, there's only so much sulfur you can put really close to that soybean seed, so for me. It's one of those nutrients that moves in soil pretty well, and the safety factor of broadcasting it is so good. That's how we're doing our our sulfur in soybeans. We're, we're broadcasting rather than putting it in the row.
5: Are you spoon-feeding it or putting it all on, like with your fall or spring fertilizer?
0: Where are you at, Matt? Where do you farm? Indiana. Okay. Uh, so so for, us, Indiana. for us in South Dakota, we have... Heavy soil, high organic matter, and typically—not always—typically low rainfall. So for us, getting it out there early is usually the trick. But there are some guys that are that are trying to to put some sulfur on later in the season too. But normally for us, we're putting it on at planting time and and getting it in the soil. Okay. But yeah, if you're if you All say, right well, there. we get 30 inches of rain or 35 inches of rain instead of your 20 or maybe 25. Uh, we got a lot more rain to deal with. We got lighter soils in Indiana. Well, then you probably want to spoon feed it somehow. So that, yeah, I guess that's up to you and how you try to do that. but I, I would think if you had more rain, it's harder to hold that sulfur in place. Now, the other thing that that you can keep in mind too, is you are gonna get some free sulfur. It's not a lot. But when organic matter breaks down for each 1% of organic matter in your soil, you're going to get a free release of 2 or 3 pounds of sulfur. So if you've got a 4 or 5% organic matter soil, you're going to get some sulfur for free during the growing season. But for the most part, you got to apply what you want.
6: Okay. All right. That answers my question. So.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Matt. We really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, we didn't talk about soybeans very much on today's show. Uh, Brian, what would you say, we're talking about balancing soil fertility as our our overall topic, but when it comes to soybean fertility, where do you think we're falling, where do you see guys falling short? Is it something with soil or is it something with in-season management?
1: Well, I, I would say in the soil, potassium levels need to be really good. And here's the reason why. When you think about soybeans versus corn. On a per-day basis, you have to assume that soybeans are going to take less than corn, right? Because in total, soybeans need a little bit less than corn. But that's not true. At the peak point in a soybean's life, it's going to need more on a per-day basis than an equivalent corn crop would. So just and what I mean by equivalent is roughly let's call it two and a half to one or three to one in terms of yield. So let's say we're talking 200 bushel corn and 60 bushel beans. Okay, at the peak for 60 bushel beans, they're going to need more potassium on a per day basis for just a few days. I think it's during potting is, is really when the peak is than at any point during that corn plant's life. And so what I'm saying is, even though the 60-bushel soybeans in total will need less K than corn in total at 200 bushels, you still have to have more K out there available when that soybean plant really needs it. And when you stop and think about it for a second, this is why in a lot of cases guys say August rains make beans. When those beans are potting, it's not just the rainfall. It's the fact that that's how potassium gets into the plant. And potassium is the number one nutrient that's needed to get pulled in through the soil by both corn and soybeans. So what I'm saying here is if you just simply increase the level of K in the soil, especially when we start talking about the ratios and everything that we were discussing earlier in the show, bump that base saturation K level up, you can have better soybeans. So an example I was giving at our soils clinic the other day when we did this, was I just said, all right, a lot of times when we talk to really high-yield corn guys in Iowa, just as an example, because there's some Iowa people there, I said it's common for us to, say, to hear them say, oh, I can't get my beans in relation. So I'm getting 260 bushel corn, but I'm only getting like 60 or 70 bushel beans, and that doesn't cut it. That's not enough yield-wise. And I agree with that. You should be getting more. So, what we typically then find is the base saturation K levels are only 2 or 3%. You gotta bump them up. And that'll help the standability with the corn also and the grain quality and the test weight and everything. But on soybeans, it really translates to more yield. So, I'd say that's by far and away the number one nutrient that we commonly see short in soybeans.
0: All right, step back into the Ag PhD mailbag here. we got one from IA who said, you guys were talking about Enlist soybeans here the other day, and I'm just curious about uh, the safety and so forth, and when you think about human consumption, when you're spraying pesticides like Enlist in a field, how much of the chemical actually makes it into our food, or is the timing such that it is all washed away before it's harvested?
1: Well, I can't say that it's all washed away, but... The dose always makes the poison. If there's a very, very trace amount in there, it doesn't matter. And I would just say that's the reason why they have pre-harvest intervals with these pesticides and whatever crop it is. The pre-harvest interval was set by the government so we know that the food should be safe. So that's why I'm not too concerned about it. Now, let's take this one step further when you start talking about in list One. That's the new 2,4-D choline. That's got a relatively low toxicity level. So even if there was some that ended up in the food, the odds that it's gonna hurt anybody are really, really slim.
0: Okay. Well thanks for the question. I A. I uh, get this one in. You're gonna like this one, Brian. This is from BMW. In the Del Marva, he said, I'm raising corn, soybeans, and wheat. We've got thinner soil, CECs around seven, usually high relative rainfall. We're not irrigated on our farm. Our problem weeds are water hemp, ragweed, mare's tail, and Canada thistle. And we rotate soybeans to wheat, uh, and then to corn. We use the wheat as a cover crop as well. We've been having good success with everything in terms of weed control using Zidua Pro, Roundup. And Metribuzin Zidua Pro, of course, is a combination of one ounce of Sharpen, four ounces of Pursuit, and two ounces of Zidua. But water hemp, we're struggling with control. Now, in light of some recent chemical shortages, just wondering what chemical programs are available, and what would you recommend for water hemp, ragweed, mare's tail, and Canada thistle? Keeping in mind, we're doing a pretty good job with the ragweed and mare's tail; just really struggling with water hemp.
1: Mainly in soybeans. Then is this question? Yes. Okay. Well, here's the good news: all the products that are great on water hemp, they're widely available, other than Liberty. So I would just say the the problem I have with Zidua Pro: number one, BSF's really short on it this year. Number two, it's high priced. And number three, you got two of the three modes of action that aren't going to do diddly squat for you once you get past two weeks. That sharpens only going to last for a couple of weeks at the low rate that you have to run in soybeans. And then Pursuit isn't going to do a thing for it because it's ALS. So then all you're left with is the Zidua, which is only, eh, I, 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 it's, you know, it's okay. But there are a lot better products like Metrobes, And I'm glad you're adding the Metribuse and that's great. But the product you really need, instead of using Zidua Pro, spend your dollars instead on what we talk about all the time, which is the three pre's. So you can run with a yellow, either Trifluralin if you're tilling it or Prowl if you're no-till, and that will be better than the Zidua. Use Metribuzin and then use either Authority or Valor. And the Authority or Valor is so much better. It's unbelievable compared to Sharpen when it comes to water, hemp, and residual a month or two down the road. Then if you want to really amp things up early post, you could run with Warrant Ultra, which is a combination of Warrant and Flexstar, or you could run Anthem Max, which is a combination of Zidua, and then some Cadet. So if you do that, you can get five modes of action, or really four modes of action, five products, all with residual, and you're only going to spend 20 to maybe 25 bucks. So that's a pre-program and an early post-program with either the Warrant Ultra or the Anthem Max. And then you're going to be in fantastic shape.
0: All right. One last question here comes in from Australia. This is from Liam. He said, I am looking at your nutrient removal app in metric. I'm wondering when it says yield goal and it's talking about per ton in alfalfa. Is that per acre or per hectare? No, actually, Liam, it's just tons. So it's how much does it take to raise whatever your goal is, 5 tons, 10 tons, and that could be over an acre or that could be over a hectare. It's just per ton of dry matter. That's the other key on that one, dry matter of alfalfa production. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.